Grace, and we want to welcome uh, Bloomville being with us today. We're, we're just, we're excited about you being here. We're starting a new series, and it's about Jonah and wrestling with God's heart for the lost. And I know just saying that, some people will be like, whoa, Jonah, whoa, whoa. isn't that the guy that was swallowed by a whale and, and, and lived in there for a few days? And you, you don't expect me to believe that, do you? Well, I got to tell you, um, yes, I do. I mean, we as believers, we, we believe what's in Scripture, and either God's working in a world, and He does occasionally miraculous things to further His purposes, or He doesn't. And by the way, that's not the hardest thing to believe in the Bible. I mean, it starts out, right, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that God spoke the universe into existence. We believe that. And we celebrate Christmas around the world. Luke 2 tells us that, that God came to earth and clothed himself in humanity. He was born as a human being, that he grew up, eventually had a ministry, did miraculous things, uh, voluntarily was killed, tortured to death on the cross of Calvary, rose back to life three days later. And if you believe those things, then this... Um, story of Jonah is, is not such a reach. And by the way, it's not written like a fairy tale or just an allegory or, or a, a, a story, as some people use that word. It's actually written like history. It's written like a historical narrative. And, uh, and, and we'll jump in there and, and see how it, how it starts, and you listen to it. And remember... This is a story that Jesus knew about, and Jesus referred to Jonah, and actually, Jesus uses Jonah to say, hey, that's the sign. Right where we left off last week, I think just in the next chapter or within a chapter or so, Jesus tells the people as they're looking for a sign from him, they want more and more proof, although he already gave him evidence, he says, well, I'm not going to give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah, and that's the whole in the ground for three days resurrected. But anyway, let's start. In Jonah chapter 1, so if you'd like to turn there, and uh, it's kind of a hard book to find toward the end of the Old Testament. You could go to Matthew and flip backwards if you want. It's, it's small, so it's easy to miss, but if you'll grab that, uh, a Bible maybe in front of you, or, or you can grab your device. That's what I'll do this morning, and we'll just start in Jonah 1, verse 1. Are you ready? Get, you're not as ready as normal, and I think it's because some of you were up late last night watching football. So is there anybody up late last night watching football? Yeah, okay. Are, are you happy about the results? Okay, yeah. And, and then, well, pretty happy, yeah. We'll wait till tonight to see what happens, right? Do you have any strong opinions on who ought to be on the final four? All right, okay, yeah. I think you do, but all right. Yeah, just, let's make that a yes or no. Any strong opinions on who ought to be in the football playoff? Yes. Oh, that's what I thought. Okay, all right. So we'll start. Jonah 1, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, and if I could just pause there in ver after verse 1. Notice as you're reading this, the Lord is in all caps, and some of you already know this, but some of you don't. When, when you see the Lord the word Lord written in all capital letters, 
That's telling us something in Scripture. It's referring to a Hebrew word. It's the personal name of God. And it's these consonants in Hebrew. I think we have it up here on the screen, do we? It's Y-H-W-H. Some, some people pronounce that Yahweh. We actually don't know how to pronounce it. Because Hebrew started as a language that, it's such an ancient language, it started only with consonants and they had no vowels. And then later as their vocabulary grew and they started using the same consonants with different vowels, with different pronunciations for different words because their vocabulary grew, then because writing, their writings were so important to them, they created a way of adding vowels, which was just vowel pointing. That meant you still wrote the word the exact same way, but you just put some dots and things in between, up above the consonants, and then that supplied the vowels. But when they did that, they never spoke this word for in reverence of God's personal name, not wanting to take God's name in vain. They never said the word. So when it came to putting in the vowel pointing for all the consonants, this is the only word they didn't know how it was pronounced, so they never added any vowel pointing. So do we got that? So anytime you see Lord in all capital letters, that means it's Yahweh, if you want to pronounce it that way, but it's the personal name of God, and it's held in, in reverence because we do not want to take his Lord's, the Lord's name in vain. Verse 2, continuing. So he goes, word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh, at this time, is the capital of Assyria. Assyria, in the 7th and 8th centuries B.C., it was the world power at the time. And they chewed up and spit out countries around them all the time. It was just normal. They were brutal. They were aggressive. They were violent. They were known for beheading the people and then piling up the heads by the city gates to make these huge mountains of heads of the people they had conquered. They would skin people, sometimes skin them alive, put the skins, drape the skins from the city walls, human skins. They raped people, children. I mean, they, they impaled people on spikes, uh, which I don't even want to describe to you, but they did all these things. They were brutal, and they were wicked, and they destroyed the countries around them. As a matter of fact, at this time in history, 7th and 8th centuries B.C., Israel, if you might remember, was split into two kingdoms, northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the southern two, two of the tribes. The northern kingdom had been already conquered by um, Assyria and devastated so badly and so many people taken into captive that basically the 10 tribes of Israel were just obliterated by these people, the Assyrians. They were bad news. And so... God is telling Israel's prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach against it. Not to it, but against it. Kind of interesting words. Let's pick it up in verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, that's on a port, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
So God tells this prophet, Jonah, to go to Nineveh. And what Jonah does is he goes to the coast. He finds a ship going as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly find. There's actually a map up here. If, if you look, A, kind of over to the right, A with the little boat, that's where, that's where he's starting. That's, that's Joppa. And then Assyria is, is a, it's, you, you go there by land. It's in the upper right there. That's B. And what does Jonah do? He, he pays passage to jump on a ship and go all the way to the left there to, to see. Tarshish is somewhere in Spain. It's the furthest place that he could possibly go away from Nineveh. So he's doing exactly the opposite that God wants him to do. Verse 4. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on, on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So these are professional sailors. They sail the Mediterranean all the time. They go further than anyone across the Mediterranean, Tarshish to Joppa. And these guys are terrified because of the storm, something they haven't seen before. And so they come up with a two-part plan. First, they're going to lighten the load, so they start throwing things overboard. By the way, this is all their profits, months of work. You throw your cargo over, you get nothing. And so they, it's such a bad storm, they throw all the cargo over, and then their second part of their plan is that they're all going to start praying to their own gods. Back in this time in history, people from different places on the map believe that their god kind of controlled that country or that area. And these men, being sailors, were kind of from all over the place. And so they're all, they, so plan B is, they're all going to pray to their own individual gods for that, that he'll get them through this storm. And if one god saves one guy, then the rest of the guys will be saved too, kind of a deal. So they all start praying. If you can imagine this, all these pagans, I mean, they get out their amulets and their crystals and they're waving hankies by, prayed over by TV evangelists. I mean, they're doing everything they can do to, you know, they are on it. They are praying because they know something weird is happening and they're about to die. And so they're all over this. Continuing, but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen asleep. It, do you catch the irony here? A bunch of pagan sailors are having this huge energetic prayer meeting on the deck of the ship. I mean, they're all about praying to God. They're, they're theologically trying to figure this out. And you got Jonah, the prophet of God, he's sleeping through the prayer meeting down in the bottom of the ship. So the captain approached him, verse 6, and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God, and perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Well, back on deck here, verse 7, Each man says to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. And that's kind of, a, kind of like rolling dice, but it's a way to ask God's you know, who, what's going on, or the God. And so they say this, so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation, and where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, 
who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, well, what should we do that what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he says to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. The interesting story, right? A lot of action here. They're asking Jonah, all the lot point to them, all of a sudden they realize, whoa, something's up with this guy. They start asking him questions. He says, yeah, it's because of me. And they're saying, well, how do we get out of this? What do we do? How do we save ourselves? He says, throw me overboard. And, uh, which would be murder. You know, they know, well, that's his death. So they're kind of reluctant to do that. So they start trying even harder. The sails are down, and they're trying to row to get to some piece of land to save themselves. But now they're in a rowing match against God, right? So that's not, not going so great for them. And the sea's raging even more. And again, more irony here, the pagan sailors are doing everything they can to save Jonah's life. But Jonah, the God follower, is not willing to go preach to this huge city, Nineveh, full of pagans. You know, so some weird stuff happening here, a lot of irony. And uh, verse 14, then they called on the Lord and said, we, notice, notice who they're praying to now. We called on the Lord these are the, the pagans, and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on the count of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Now all of a sudden, these pagan sailors aren't praying to their gods anymore. They're convinced. You know, they're, they're thinking, okay, we're praying to the personal God, the God of the Hebrews, and we're using his personal name is what's happening. And they're basically saying, hey, you're doing all this, God, so we're going to kill your guy here. We're going to pitch him over because that's what he's saying. Please don't hold this against us. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So they pitch Jonah in, the sea immediately calms, and that freaks the sailors out even more. They're even more convinced, whoa, this is the God. This is the creator of the sea and the land and everything in it. And they fear God more, so they've seen enough. They're convinced. Now, when I've always read this story before, I thought, you know, they throw Jonah in, and I just kind of always pictured it that he just sinks like a rock, you know. But, but then I'm starting to wonder, well, the sea calms immediately. You know, maybe they throw Jonah in, and everything just stops, and they're all just kind of going, hey, that worked. And Jonah's, you know, yeah, that worked. You know, and maybe thinking, 
well, maybe you can pull me in or what's going to, you know, maybe we can rethink this or, or give me something. I was like, boom, you know, about that time he's gone, you know, swallowed. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So here's a story, uh, not a story to teach us how to survive being inside a great fish. It's not a how-to guide. This is a story teaching us about wrestling with the heart of God. And so what can we learn from this? Well, I think as we apply this to our own lives, we understand something, that God says that we should go to the lost, but a lot of times, just like Jonah, we say no. And I want, you, I want to point out something to you. God didn't just tell Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah, go to the lost. He act, if you're sitting here and you're a believer, he's already told all of us that we should go. Remember? Matthew 28, the Great Commission, what we're supposed to be doing. Go, 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 therefore, and make disciples. You know, that's our charge that's what God has called each one of us to do. We're to go and to tell people about God. And, and why don't we? Why do we have this tendency to disobey, to run from God, to say no when, when he says go? Well, I, I think there's several things, and we can see some of those in Jonah's life, and, and at least a couple of them apply to our life too. You know, maybe we say no because we're comfortable the way things are. I mean, Jonah, he's, he's the prophet of Israel. And so he's been preaching to Israel, and he's been preaching some, some pretty tough stuff. And he's an upstanding prophet in every other way. Everything's been good. He's the Billy Graham of Israel. And then all of a sudden, God tells him to do something, and he doesn't want to do it. Maybe because it threatens his security. Maybe because he sees the result of this may turn his world upside down, and, and it might. And so he's trying to figure that out. But Jonah has the means, which is something that we learn from the story that we wouldn't necessarily assume. Jonah has enough money, he's, he's able to pool together enough resources to immediately book passage to the farthest port that they knew about, Tarshish. I mean, he's got the money to pay. And, and so he he's kind of falls into this pagan thinking that he can run away from God. And so he lays his money down and he hits the road. He had mobility. He had money. He had resources. And oddly... I think a lot of times, as, as we are the richest nation in the history of the world and the richest people in the history of the world, I think it might be good for us to realize that sometimes the fact that we have money and resources, sometimes that becomes a dangerous thing because it, it makes it easier for us to think that we can run from God. It's just that we run from God in a different way. But we get all busy with other things, toys, entertainments, whatever, and, and we just don't think about God, and we sort of run from him that way. But maybe the main thing that we would get from this story of why would be because Jonah is fearful. 
I mean, he's scared. And he's probably scared on two different levels. One is, hold it, these are the enemies of Israel. They are just wiping Israel off the face of the map. And now if God wants me to go confront them, to preach against them, the reason for that is, is so that they'll repent. Well, if they repent, that's terrible. I don't want them to repent. I want God to wipe them out. And so he's fearful that that's going to happen. And then the other thing that I think he's fearful of is, is just the fact that God's telling him to go to this city. This city is filled with extremely violent people who have skinned, beheaded, impaled, and raped Israel's people. And so how's it going to be if he shows up and starts preaching against them? That doesn't sound like that's going to go so well. And so he's, he's probably scared on different levels. And he had every reason to be scared. The question is, what are we afraid of? We're not going to be skinned, beheaded, and impaled. You know, but, but we are fearful anyway. Why? That's, that's something we need to search our hearts about. Why are we fearful to talk to somebody that we know about God? Why are we fearful not to talk to everybody we know? about God, because hopefully many people, we have talked to them. Well, why is that? What's our excuse? What are we fearing? Their reaction? Their approval? Their, their future friendship? How they'll view us? You know, they'll think we're a freak or we'll lose their friendship? What? What, what are we afraid of? What keeps us from obeying God's command to go and tell everybody we know about God. Because there's something we don't think about a lot, and that is there are always consequences when we say no to what God wants us to do. What do I mean by that? Well, when we say no to God's command to go to the lost, just like he told, Nineveh, told Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's telling us to go to the people, that we, people around us. Well, first of all, what's happening there is we don't understand God's power. We don't understand what God is up to in the world. We don't understand our purpose. We don't understand why God's put us there. We don't understand why God's placed us in the lives of people or why he has placed others in our lives. There's a reason for that because he has a mission, a purpose for us and it's to tell other people about him. Here Jonah, he believes in the all-powerful creator God of the Bible Yet he's so messed up in his thinking, even as the Billy Graham of, of Israel, that he tries to run away from God, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, theology 101, right? God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at the same time. We can't outrun God. We can't get away from God. He's anywhere we would go. That doesn't work, and, and he should know that. But anytime we don't do what we know God wants us to do, that's called sin. Now, here's how we run away from God. It's the same thing. 
We know intellectually that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere and he knows everything. He's omniscient. But when we do things that we know God doesn't want us to do, or maybe more applicable in this talk is, when we don't do what we know God wants us to do, that's sin. And when, whenever we're sinning, whether it's by commission or omission, what we do to feel good about it is, is while we're doing that, we don't think about God. We focus ourselves on anything that will distract us or the thing that we're doing that we shouldn't do or we'll focus on just the comfort or, or entertainment or whatever when we ought to be doing something else. And that's our way of running away, God, running away from God. It's like just because we're not focused on God or we're uncomfortable thinking about God for the moment, God hasn't gone anywhere. But it's like we kind of think he's not there or, or we don't want to feel like he's right there with us. And he is. And then somehow that makes us feel a little more comfortable about disobeying what God's telling us to do. We also not only don't understand God's power, we don't understand God's discipline. Because God has told us, he's really promised us, that we as believers, when we sin against God, especially when we do it kind of in a consistent way, he will discipline us. He will discipline us for our own good. God's discipline is not to pay us back. It's to bring us back. And by the way, that's exactly what happened with Jonah, right? He heads off for the, the farthest place he can go, and what's this whole event happening here in Jonah? Is God bringing him right back to where he started. I always thought maybe, you know, that fish brought him up further up the coast, a little closer to Nineveh, but, but I really think he probably just brought him, vomited him up right on the beach at Joppa, you know, right back where he started. Rip, wrong. God's discipline is for our own good. It's to bring us back to him. Another thing is, if we're doing this, we not only don't understand God's power, don't understand his discipline, we don't understand how our disobedience hurts others. Or we maybe understand it, we just don't want to think about that. How many of you have noticed, like I have, that when you disobey God, Ultimately, that ends up hurting some of the people around you. Ever notice that? That's what's happening with Jonah. He's on this boat. He doesn't know these guys. All they know is, yeah, he kind of boarded the boat, said, take me as far as you can, and uh, yeah, I'm running away from, from my local God is what they're thinking. When we disobey, it hurts other people. It's a disaster for these sailors. I mean, even though their lives are spared, they lost everything as far as, you know, they're coming back. They're going to finally get to some port. They have nothing. And, uh, you know, and all this is happening. And what's amazing in the story is, you know, after the captain says, well, pray to your God. That's what we're all doing. Maybe your God can do something about this, which was absolutely correct, turns out. You know, and then 
Then you have the people on the boat telling Jonah, what were you thinking? What? They're not God followers. They're telling the God follower, why are you disobeying your God? If he's God of everything like you're saying, what were you thinking? This is a classic example, by the way, of how a lot of times non-Christians interact with our life. Let me give you an example of this. Sometimes we have friends in our life and we've, we've talked to them about God like, you know, three years ago or maybe we tried a few times a year ago we haven't, and, and it didn't work, didn't get any traction. So we just kind of went on with our friendship and we're kind of comfortable that, you know, yeah, they're not a believer but they know I am and so maybe someday God will do something. But here's what your friend gets. Your friend gets something that, that we forget. If you've told them that you're a believer and if you've explained anything about the gospel to them, here's what they know. They know that you think that they are going to go to hell and be separated from God forever. Nothing worse, more, nothing worse could happen to them. And then they see that now it's been a year since you've mentioned God to them at all. And, and there's only two conclusions there. One is you don't really care about them, but if they're good friends, they probably think you do care about them. So the second conclusion is this, that you don't even really believe what you're saying. Because if you did believe it, you would talk to them. You would mention them. That would be a priority in your life. You would risk your relationship to point them to God, to save them from an eternity separated from God. And so they get that. And so when we stop talking to them about God, they question, they doubt whether we even believe the message that we're saying. Because we couldn't believe it in their mind if we really cared about them and not talk to them. I've actually had people say this. And, and it's, it's a wake-up call from pagans to Jonah and non-believers to us that we just think, well, okay, I've tried this, it didn't work, now we'll just go on in our relationship and not say anything so everything's good with us and they kind of know where I stand. That's not the way they feel about that. Because when it gets right down to it, you are letting them make a major mistake that they could never correct. But I think mostly... The reason all this happened, the kind of consequences is that we just don't understand the love of God. It's weird that we lose sight of that because we all could probably feel like I do how, I mean, we all started off alienated from God. We all started off as pagans. We all started off without a relationship with God. And then one day, usually by influence with other people, God uses other people in our lives to bring us to himself. We were talking last Sunday how even repentance is a gift from God. But God uses people to make that happen. And so as we look at that in our life, we know why did that happen? We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it more than anybody else. We don't deserve it more than the pagans on the boat or our friends that, that don't want to come to church and don't want anything to do with God. We don't deserve it any more than they do. But we know God's love for us was bigger than all that, that he called us. 
But the thing about it, as much as we feel loved by God, we need to remember that God loves that person that's in your family or your coworker or that person that you know at school or the person that you come in contact with on a weekly basis in the marketplace. God loves that person as much as God loves you. And God's put you in their life for a reason. God's given you a mission. God's given you purpose. There's a reason they're in your life. And, and when we don't leverage that relationship to point people to God, then we're blowing it. We're, we're being disobedient. We're not following God up on what he's told us to do. And basically, as we, we remain in that disobedience, God's just calling to us, stop running. Come back to me. Repent. Stop doing the wrong you're doing, even if it's omission, and start doing what I've asked you to do. And really, the, the next chapter in Jonah, chapter 2, that's what that's all about. Is Jonah in the belly of this huge fish, he's surviving in there, and he starts praying to God. He, it couldn't be a worse environment. And he comes back to God. God uses that in his life. And it could be that some of us have gotten so far away from God's agenda that we're really, it's like the best thing for us is for God to bring us to rock bottom. That God would rock our world so that we would come to God in repentance and prayer and sync up that relation. Because what Jonah finds out is, hey, living in a, a, a gnarly place with the gastric juices of a fish and all the sushi floating around <laughs> is better with God, him there with God, is better than being on dry land in Israel and, and doing what God doesn't want you to do. Coming back to God in obedience, no matter what circumstance, is better than living a comfortable life in rebellion to him. And when we hit rock bottom, God's there waiting for us, wanting to help us, wanting to sync up that relationship with us, and it's never too late. It's never too late to come back to God. It's never too early to come back to God either. It's ne now is the time. I've learned in my life that the, the sooner I repent and follow God in any area of my life, the sooner I do that, the fewer regrets I have in my life when I look back on it. Every single time. The sooner I repent and come to God in some area, then the sooner I do that, the fewer regrets I'm going to have and have already had as I look back. It's never too late. God wants that relationship with you now. So we start thinking, okay, well, here's this area. God's told us to go. We're not very good at it. What are we going to do about that? 
Well, first of all, understand what God wants us to do, and then pray to Him, repent, and yield yourself to be used by God in that area. Now, as a church, we want to do this as individuals, and we want to do this as a church family. And so, we try to come up with tools to help you be obedient to God. And so, for example, at Christmas time, one of the things that we've done for several years is this You've Been Gifted card, right? Anybody ever heard of that before? Yeah. So we were talking about that again. And some of these things we're trying to figure out, yeah, hey, is this kind of, that was cool, it really worked well, we liked it, has it kind of run its course, so we should do it again. And we're realizing this is too good of a tool to pass up. So if you don't know what that is, a You've Been Gifted card is just, it's a, a little card that basically says on it, Hey, we, under, we understand Christmas time's a busy time of the year, and we get caught up in all this, all this stuff, but really, this is just to remind you that, that Christmas is really simple. It's all about a Savior was born. And please accept this gift, you know, in, in light of that. And, and then on the back side is just Grace Community Church, our service times. And so you can use a card like this and be generous to somebody, whether you know them or don't know them, and attach this card, and it's just one way of pointing people to God. It's just one way, of, if, if you don't feel like you're equipped, and by the way, we're all equipped, but if you don't feel like, man, I don't know that I can have the God talk with somebody because I don't know that much, or I'm kind of a new Christian myself, or what if they ask me a bunch of questions, I don't know it, or you know, that just seems too awkward, or, or whatever. Well, that's what God's called us to do, and if God's put you in their life, there's a reason for that. Maybe you're exactly who they need to hear this from, but we can all tell somebody what God has done in our life even though we might not be able to answer every question they ask. And so we have this tool. And you can use it with anonymously, hey, you know, pay for somebody something and, and just say, hey, please accept this gift. You know, Christmas is simple, like that. But it's probably even better to use it with somebody you know. And this is a way to be generous with people that you know without them feeling like they have to pay you back because you just pay for something, pay for a meal, give them a gift, whatever it is, just something that's of value to them, give that to them, and then just follow that up with a, hey, hey, our church is doing this thing, this you've been gifted, and, and uh, so that's why I just paid for your meal. Here's the card. You should check out Grace sometime, and, and the information about that's on the back. I'll meet you there if you want, or pick you up. It's just that simple. And that is a way for you to invite someone to come to a place where they will hear the message of God's love for them. It'll be spelled out in a simple way. Actually, these cards, they go a little further and they do things sometimes we don't even intend. Last year, uh, there was actually a couple from Toledo area and they were, happened to be in Fremont and they went to Fort Ball Pizza Palace and they were eating, which is a good place to do there. And while they were there, somebody gifted them. I don't maybe paid for their meal or something, and they got this card, and they left. A couple of months later, they started looking for a Bible-believing church in their area. They live in Toledo. They remembered the card. They then went on the internet and looked up our church, found out that we had a campus starting in Northwood, which was right in their area, went to church, and they've been attending church at Northwood ever since. Not exactly the way we think that's going to work, 
But the point is, if we're faithful, God has a plan. God's bigger than us. We don't have to worry about everything. Hey, do we, can we answer every question? All this stuff, where they God, this is God's thing, not your thing. You're just cooperating with God. You're just doing what God's asking you to do. Let God work out those details, right? Let him figure it out. We just have to be faithful. That's what God wants us to do. It's never too late to quit running from God or ignoring God or marginalizing God in our life, however you want to call that, and start following him actively and doing what he wants you to do. Never too late to make that switch. Never too late to come back to God. Jesus wants to use us to impact people. So we're doing this initiative where we want to blanket our area with kind of random acts of generosity that are designed not just for generosity's sake, but to point people to God. And so those cards are going to be available Wednesday and next week, but starting Wednesday this week here at Grace, and then Sunday at the other campuses in, in Bloomville, they should be there. And that just gives us like three weeks to impact people. So you need to be thinking about it now on how you'd use that. So let me just ask, because again, we're trying to figure out, are, is this effective for people to use as tools? We're just trying to help you do what God says. And so if you're thinking, yeah, Kevin, I think this is a tool I can use and I'm committed to make this happening, you know, at least one or two people I can gift a meaningful gift, something that they would value and give them that card that, that kind of points them to a way to hear about God's love. We'll say, yeah, I, I'm committed to make that happening. All right, well, that's great. Well, we're excited about that. We want to blanket our area with these acts of generosity, point people to God, and we're excited to see how God may use that in our life. Now, next week, we pick it up with Jonah. So come on back. We've, we've left him in the belly of a fish. Not a great place to leave a guy. And we're going to leave him there for like a week, not even three days. So come back, and, uh, and we'll be checking that out. Let's stand together, and we'll close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for, for you loving us, reaching down and grabbing us, no matter what our circumstance or situation or family or anything else. We know you've loved us, and you've reached down and grabbed us, even though we don't deserve it. All of us who are here as believers, we thank you, Lord. And for those who are here, and maybe, boy, this is a lot to take, the whole Jonah story and, and struggling with, you know, is that a reality and just all that stuff, Lord, we pray that your spirit would convict each heart, help them to see you, help them to see truth, help them to seek truth. And Father, we pray that they would experience the same changed life that we have because of your precious love for us and the precious gift of your son. There's no equal to that in the universe, and we don't deserve that in any way. But you've loved us, you want relationship with us, you want to be a part of our lives, and we thank you for that, Lord, because we know we don't deserve it, Lord, thanks. And Father, we know that anytime we follow you and do something in obedience, especially if it's uncomfortable or hard or awkward, that you will be in that and that you will give us the strength and the power to make that happen. Lord, help us be faithful to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.